Thanks very much, Pete. Do keep that open. We'll look at that over the next few minutes together as we uh, interweave, really, the theme of Martin Luther and his Reformation discovery of faith alone with Jesus' story about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, you might know a little bit about Martin Luther. He was born a little over 500 years ago, lived in what, what was eastern Germany, Saxon in those days, and he was very anxious as he grew up about how to be right with God. Uh, Like many in his day, and still today to some extent, very aware of of death from the society around them, a a, a culture where there was huge sickness, plague was all around you, life expectancy was very short, very tough life in um, the late Middle Ages in Europe. And the threat of, of facing God at death and not being ready for that moment was a huge thing for everyone and Luther was no exception. Um, he grew up in a church that was teaching at that time that the only way to be right with God was to live a very good life, to fulfill lots of religious obligations, do good works, so you know, go to church, say lots of prayers, look after the poor, um, avoid sinning and along the way also take part in lots of rituals. They were called sacraments. There were seven of them, in fact, in the, in the medieval Catholic Church. Seven rituals that were believed to kind of keep your accounts good with God. And if you were very good, at the end of your life, you hoped that you had done well enough for God to accept you and love you and give you a place in heaven. Uh, and as Luther grew and went to a monastery, and we'll hear about this later in the seminar, but he began to read the Bible he began to find all of that church tradition he'd been taught unraveling. And he began to discover a way to God that didn't involve all these good works, didn't rely upon how we lived our lives and whether we achieved enough merit to be loved by God, but relied upon faith instead. And that was the big discovery he made. That's why that one of his big slogans is faith alone. We're right with God by faith alone. And that's our title tonight, Faith Alone. So I'm just going to really talk about those two different ways that human beings think about approaching God. One is the way of good works, and one is the way of faith, and the contrast between them. And actually, the story that Jesus told that we just had read about the Pharisee and the tax collector very much, I think, underlines those two different ways, or at least attempts to find ways to God. I'm not sure whether Luther um, ever taught about this passage particularly, because most of his teaching and his early studies were in other bits of the New Testament. But the word that comes in the last verse there was a big word for Luther, um, and it's the word justify. So do you see there... Jesus ends the story saying, I tell you the truth, that this man, the tax collector, went home justified before God. Now, that's a jargon word, a long word, isn't it? Justify. What's it mean? Um, Well, it's it's the same word in English translation as made righteous. (coughs) But again, well, that's that's no shorter, Richard. An easier way, please. So, the simplest way of thinking about this, this is how we are right with God. How do we become, in in a child's language, friends with God, or children of God? And the word used here was justified, accepted by God. And Luther, 
in his studies on the book of Romans and Galatians and the Psalms, discovered that we're right with God, justified, not by our good works, but by faith, and particularly through Christ. As I said, Luther wanted to be right with God. He thought the way to do it was to become a monk, because that was seen as the kind of the way to live a really good life and avoid as much sin as you could. Um, but it left him deeply anxious and unhappy um, that that was actually going to be good enough. And it's ironic, in our story, in Jesus' story here, we come across this Pharisee. Jesus tells a story of these two men at the temple coming to worship God, to pray. And he says, one of them is a Pharisee. And he's really the target of Jesus' story. He's, Jesus has got this man in his sights. And he stands there, probably near the front of the temple, and he looks up towards God, confident that God listened to him, and he prays. And if you see what he prays here, um, he starts off by thanking God that he's not a bad person. He starts with the kind of negative, doesn't he? Verse 11, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers. Um, and slightly rudely adds, you know, or even like this tax collector. I don't know if the tax collector overheard that. But he says, I, I, I've not robbed Um, I've not stolen from people. That's probably the sense of evildoers there. So, you know, he's he's not a cheat. He's not a premiership footballer that dives in the box. He's been completely honest and straightforward. Um, He hasn't stolen from people. Um, And he says, I've not been an adulterer. Probably, actually, it's more the idea he's supported marriage. He's been pro-marriage. Um, it's ironic, he says that, because in Luke's Gospel, the Pharisees, and he is one, are told off by Jesus because some of their practices are undermining marriage. So probably, actually, he's wrong about this. He's not actually been supporting marriage. He just doesn't realise it. He's not as good, you see, as he thinks he is. But there he is, and he starts off by saying, oh, I've, I've avoided all these bad things. Thank you for that. And then he says, secondly... Um, I've been very good, verse 12. I fast twice a week. So fasting is, is giving up food, for maybe for a day, 24 hours. And the law said fast once a week. So he said, well, I've, I've gone beyond that. I've done it twice a week. Now look at me, I'm great. And I give a tenth of all I get. Again, in the Old Testament, there was a practice of what was called tithing, giving 10% of your income to support the priests. But he probably, again, is saying, I've done more than that. I've given 10% of not just my salary, but of all I get. So if, if I get some income from something, or some, or some stocks and shares do well, and I make some money, I've given 10% of that too. So he's gone above what he was required to do. He's lived a, a very good life. So you can see, can't you, how he's, he's mentally he's sort of piling up all the things that he thinks count in his favour to justify him to make him acceptable to God. All the bad things I haven't done, all the good things I have done. And you kind of sense, don't you, the, the complacency here. Compared with other people, I've really done pretty well. God must be pretty pleased with me. That's what he's thinking. What's interesting about his prayer is two things. First thing is, other than the first you know, word God, thank you God, He doesn't mention God at all. It's not about God at all. It's about him, isn't it? And in the Bible, the best prayers are always prayers that focus on who God is and what God is like. 
that he's great and mighty and merciful and loving and so on. Nothing. It's all about me. That's just a sign of his, of his self-reliance. Of The focus of his religion is him. Not God. Ironic, isn't it? And did you see the other thing, contrasting with the tax collector? Look how long his prayer is. Um, I think, depending on the English translation, it's around about 50 words. Pretty wordy, pretty verbose, isn't it? Um, in the original, the Greek was much shorter. It's 29 words in the Greek, compared with the tax collector's prayer, which is, what, eight words in verse 13? Or is it seven? Seven words in verse 13. God have mercy on me, a sin. I think it's six words in the original. He is very wordy. He thinks it's all about how much he says that makes him a, a good person, a good prayer, a, a religious worshipper. And of course, as Jesus says, it's not about babbling. It's about the heart connecting with God in person. So Jesus says that people like him, looking at verse 9, were confident of their own righteousness. Again, it's the same word there as justification, justified in verse 14. To some who are confident that they were acceptable before God. That's what it means. Jesus told this story. And he's saying to people like this Pharisee in his own day and today, be very careful if it's all about what you do or what you haven't done. Be very careful if it's all about what prayers you pray and how long they are. It's very easy, isn't it, to slip into that self-reliant, self-justifying way, the way of good works. To think, well, I've been at Holy Trinity for 25 years. I've been on the PCC, even. I've been a welcomer. I read my Bible. I do give things to charity. I'm generally pretty kind to people at work. Um, I'm involved in charity at at the student union. And so the list goes on. And what I'm doing is I'm mentally, I'm building this little pile of things I think will make me acceptable that I will be confident in before God. And Jesus says, be very careful. And of course he means that, because whatever good we do, whatever bad things we don't do, we're all still sinners. We all, as Paul says, fall short of God's glory, which is so much higher, so much purer, so much more perfect than anything we can humanly attain. So beware the Pharisee. And Martin Luther, although he had given himself to this kind of life, the religious life as a monk, began to realize that wasn't the way to God at all. As he read his Bible, he began to realize that if our hearts are sinful, are turning away from God inside, as they all do in different ways, whatever good we do, there's always that thing inside our hearts that's proud and self-centered. Then nothing we do that's good can ever be good enough. And his experience of, of that religious life was a little bit like, I was saying this morning, a bit like you know, playing football, and the idea of the game is to get the ball up the pitch and into the goal. And that's kind of how religion worked. If you do all these things, you'll, you'll kind of get there in the end, if you do enough of them. But the trouble was with, with that religion that there was no way of knowing how you were doing. Had you done enough yet? It was almost like playing football in the pitch dark. You couldn't see where the goal was. 
or where you were in relation to it. You may have done many good works, but you may still be a mile away from salvation. You never knew. There was no what Christians call assurance. No being certain that God loved you, God accepted you as you were. So beware that life, says Jesus. Don't be like that Pharisee. Uh, Although, of course, humanly, that's how we all think all the time. It's very, very tempting. So instead of the kind of self-justifying way, the way of good works, Jesus says in this parable, well, look at the tax collector, because he's worked out something. Another way. Just as Martin Luther began to read the Bible, and began to realize that actually it's not what we do, it's what Christ did on the cross for us that counts. (coughs) And it's faith alone, trusting in Christ, that brings us to God. So the tax collector of Jesus' story does the same thing. So as we saw, he stands there, probably, as it says, at a distance, he's hesitant. He's really not confident that God will listen to him at all. He won't even look up at God. Will you just see that? He, he looks down at his feet. He won't look up at, to, to heaven. He beat his breast. Uh, again, the, the breast, the heart was seen as a sign. Of, that that's the place that, that thoughts and sins come from. So he's beat his breast saying, I know that bad stuff has come from here. And then verse 13 at the end, he says, just these seven words, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's a very simple prayer. And what he's doing is he's expressing, in a kind of very simple way, the way of faith, as opposed to the way of works. The thing that Luther discovered. Because what he says there is really two things. First of all, he admits, doesn't he, that he's a sinner. That whatever good he may have done, and there's no evidence that she was a particularly evil person. He was just a tax, it was just his job. But whatever he may have done, he just says, he doesn't say, I, I've got excuses for it, or I've done all these really good things that are far, far more important than the bad things. He just says, I'm a sinner. He just would say, confesses. He says, sorry. No hiding, no excuses, I'm a sinner. I've gone away from you, God. I've ignored you. And that's the first thing his prayer. And then the only other thing his prayer says is this. He just says, effectively, forgive me. Have mercy on me. That's what have mercy means. Forgive me. Overlook what I've done wrong. Forgive it. Wash it away. Accept me. Not because I'm saying I've done all these good things, but just because you are merciful. So can you see the difference here? One, the Pharisee is resting his confidence on what he has done. The other, the tax collector, is resting it purely on what God is like. He trusts that God is merciful. He's probably read his Bible, and he knows that. God is merciful towards those that turn to him for mercy. And that's the way of faith. As I say, it gets explained and unpacked more when Jesus dies on the cross, and when Paul then particularly opens it up for us and explains that it's that Jesus died on the cross in order for God to show us that mercy. Our sins couldn't just be completely wiped under the carpet. They had to be dealt with. Jesus took my sin on the cross and in exchange gave me his righteousness, his right standing with God his Father. Extraordinary exchange took place through which we are justified, made right with God. Not by what we've done, 
but by what Christ has done for us. And as someone said, it's as if God looks at Jesus on the cross and sees my sin there. And he looks at me and he sees Christ's righteousness in me. That's the exchange that Christ has done. He took my sin, he gave me his right standing with God. So that was the heart of this story Jesus told, to trust in God's mercy, not in what we do. And that was Luther's great discovery, rediscovery of the biblical way to God in the Reformation. Not through what we do, but through what Christ has done. So Jesus summarizes at the end, doesn't he? Which of these two went home justified? And potentially, you'd have started the story saying, well, surely the Pharisee, because he's the good one here, isn't he? The other's a bad guy. He's, he's the goody. But Jesus has turned it right round, hasn't he? Who went home justified, he says at the end? That one, the tax collector. Because God delights in lifting up those that humble themselves that admit that they need his mercy. If that's you tonight, hear that promise. He loves to lift up those who ask him for mercy. But he also, in reverse, brings down those that are proud, that are confident in what they themselves have done. So I think it's really important, this, that um, as members of a church, don't let the church or the clergy tell you that being a Christian is all about going and trying harder. It's very easy to hear almost any sermon in church and to take home, I've now got to go and do these things and God will love me more. No, no, no. God loves us as we are in Christ. He sees Christ's righteousness in us. He disregards our sin. Because that's been taken by Christ. And that's why the communion is such a great sign for us tonight of how Christ has taken our sins away. If you want to know more about that, do um, stay for the seminar, but do also pick up this booklet, Freedom Movement, which is just a great introduction to some of the big ideas of Luther and the Reformation, but goes right back to the Bible. Because it's all about freedom. Freedom from fear, freedom from guilt, freedom from, from that trying to be good enough from which Luther escaped through the gospel. So that's a great little book which is on the resources table. Lots of other books there too um, on the Reformation theme. Great fun one there about some of the Reformation reformers' wives, Katie Luther and others. And uh, one called, not the 95 theses that Luther wrote, but the 9.5 theses. Someone's managed to kind of slim them down a bit. So have a look at those afterwards over the refreshments. As I finish, uh, let me just ask one more thing that that we, if you're a follower of Christ here tonight, that we commit to pray for someone. Pray not just that God will bless them, uh, or that they'll know even that God loves them, but pray that, first of all, God will give them a sense of their need of him. Because that's where Luther started, that's where we all start. Realising that we're not actually the Pharisee. Um, We're very tempted to be like that, to be self-justified, but actually none of us can be good enough We need to be the tax collector. And we need to recognize that we come to God simply asking his mercy. Pray that that person that you're praying for will come to that realization of God's love and mercy towards them. Only two things need be said to become a Christian. 
Again, if, if that's you tonight, you could do this tonight. All you've got to say to God is, like the tax collector, sorry, I am a sinner. But God, you are merciful, so please have mercy. Forgive me. Sorry, forgive me. Because Jesus died on the cross to take away our sins, to give us his righteousness. And that prayer, those two simple words, sorry, forgive, is a prayer he promises to answer whoever prays them, whoever we are, whatever we've done. Sorry, forgive. So let's pray that prayer now and as we remember his death in the bread and the wine in a few minutes. So Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he lived a perfect life. Thank you for the power and wisdom of his teaching, revealing our hearts to us, warning us against pride, but calling us towards mercy. We're sorry for the things we've done wrong, the things we've thought or said that have wounded your image, that have fallen short of your perfect standards, but thank you that Christ died on the cross for us, that he has won freedom for us, and that wonderfully he's exchanged our rags, our sins, for his perfect and righteous life. In Jesus' name, amen.